Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. Here's the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton. Thank you, Suzanne. Today on Core Principles, I've invited my friend Chris Black to join me on the program. He's a musician, he's a podcaster, he hosts a podcast called The Nitty and the Gritty. You can check it out on YouTube. Uh, He's a serious thinker. He and I met while arguing politics on Facebook, and Chris did something extraordinary Rather than just assume the worst about me, this relative stranger, because I had different views, he invited me to go share lunch with him and talk face-to-face to gain some understanding. And we've been friends ever since, so I'm pleased to welcome to Core Principles, Mr. Chris Black. How are you doing, Chris? Doing all right, man. Uh, sorry I was late. Uh, I've bought a uh, Bronco 2 about two weeks ago that ran poorly when I bought it, but it's beautiful. Um, and I've been completely tunnel visioned and, uh, woke up after a nap after work and thought Bronco, even though I knew I had to do this and completely slipped my mind because I got into that, the, the, uh, the fuel regular, the fuel pressure regulator popped on me this morning and was dripping gas. So I had to go take care of that, but now we're here and we're good. And as, as with the price of gas, you don't want to drip any on the driveway. That's true, and I suspect we're going to talk about energy prices later I, in the discussion. I'm sure we probably are. <laughs> but uh, audience members just picked up on the fact that you're even more of a renaissance man than I described because you're also an auto mechanic. So that's pretty I cool. Would, I, I would not call myself that. I, uh, I, I, like, I, I use YouTube to the best of my abilities and Google to try to teach myself, but it's been fun for the last couple of weeks to just have something to obsess about and zone out really, and just get into that. So, but luckily the Bronco has an appointment with Mercer's garage on Friday. Cause I am done. I am officially done. I've, I don't know what's going on with it. So I'm going to give it to the professionals. Well, I want to know if the Bronco has an appointment with Earl Scheib cause it's not white and a Ford Bronco <laughs> has got to be white, man. There was a guy at work the other day. I pulled up in it, and he was like, "You ain't got that OJ." And I was like, "You want to get in and be my Al Collins?" And he laughed. Oh. oh, mercy! Well, some listeners, Chris, might have been surprised by what I said in the introduction about how you invited me to lunch because we were arguing online. Have you ever done something like that beforehand with relative strangers like me? No, but I mean, you and I are on opposite sides of the aisle, and the majority of my family, um, maybe not my, like I'm an only kid, my cut and I, there were no, I was young of my generation. So the generation below me is probably more left leaning, which makes sense. If you think about it, that seems to be the way it goes. Um, and then, but my dad particularly is very, very, very staunch Republican. So I've, you know, I used to listen to like Rush Limbaugh, Glenn Beck, uh, What's his name? Old black hair guy. Hannity. Yeah. yeah. And I would listen to them in order to spy on the enemy. And that way, if I ever got in an argument, like a political debate with anyone that was on the right side of the aisle, I kind of already knew the talking points they were going to use ahead of time. And, uh, you know, so I've always been willing to listen to the other side, no matter what, because at the end of the day, I mean, 
I don't know if the people at home can see that you have a massive American flag behind you, but uh, I can. And even though I may not necessarily agree with somebody, you know, they're still Americans and that's kind of the idea. And if you just shut everybody out, then, you know, you're kind of defeating the purpose of the whole idea. So I don't really like to do that. I mean, of course, there's there are certain things that people can believe that are like, for me, off limits, you know, I don't need to go into what they are, but if somebody has a belief that I think is inherently evil, then I'm not going to listen to that. But like, I feel like anybody that is well-meaning, even though I may not agree with them, that doesn't mean they're wrong. And it doesn't mean I'm wrong. You know, everybody has different opinions Everybody, and I really think genuinely that most people are good and want to do the right thing. Everybody just can't agree on what the right thing is. So I don't mind listening to other people. I will take issue with a little bit of that possibly as we go along, but it's a philosophical thing. But uh, it's a great way to set the stage. Now, when we went... ironically, ironically, you and I probably are closer politically now than we were then. That you know, may be. We know. might find that we agree a lot more on what's yeah, going on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've definitely, like, gotten away from the – I mean, I'm still a lefty, but, like, I'm not – it's kind of hard to watch the far left at this point and not shake your head. But then again, it's also hard to watch the far right and not shake your head. So that's kind of the – like, I don't know who I am. You know, I'm just me. You be you. affiliation anymore, I don't think. I'm, I'm the Ross Perot of – this era you haven't got the ears for it buddy well they're pretty big but they're pretty big underneath there <laughs> when we went to lunch chris uh, we talked for a good long time i'm pretty sure that neither of us changed any of our views or opinions but it was really great for me because i met a new friend did did you consider that meeting worthwhile also absolutely yeah i mean like i've said before my favorite thing about it was i told you i was going to buy because I wanted you to accept a Democrat handout. <laughs> so I feel like I got the best of me that day. No, I mean, I thought it was great. Like we didn't change each other's mind, but particularly at that point in time, like at the beginning of the Trump era, when everybody was either a, you had a lot of people on the right that were bragging about Trump winning. You had a lot of people on the left that were whining about Trump winning and everybody had such polarized views that I felt like it was awesome to get off the internet and sit down and look at you eye to eye, which is funny that now we're looking at each other eye to eye through the internet, but whatever, all full <laughs> circle. But yeah, man, I thought it was refreshing. And really the, you know, I hoped that whenever I got back on the internet and said, Hey, Clay and I went to lunch, we didn't get in a fight. It's okay that it would maybe help other people to realize they didn't need to be so crazy about everything, but that didn't happen, but at least you and I got something out of it, you know? Yes. You're my friend now, and hopefully people will recognize that about us. Well, part of the lesson of that interaction that you initiated was that we can discuss serious, uh, important topics that we feel deeply about with people who disagree and we'll still have a good time if we're yeah. so inclined. We'll still enjoy the friendship. And so for this episode of Core Principles, uh, I thought that you and I could demonstrate that real time to the audience. And you and I did not prepare anything together about what we might 
talk about. I'm wearing a backward hat, sir, in the same shirt I wear to work. So I'm definitely not prepared. I'm drinking a hams because of inflation. I can't afford Budweiser anymore. Let's do it. All right. Well, before we get into the topics on which we're going to have a big Rock'em Sock'em robot battle, I want to talk to you about one other thing first, because you are a creator and I appreciate creative people. Uh, you write and perform music. Uh, listeners, uh, you need to go check out uh, the Carl Winslow Sessions by Chris Black. It's like a, a trilogy in one song. It's really awesome. And uh, so I wanted to ask you, Chris Black, how do you get the creative spark? What motivates you to start uh, a musical project or to write? Anxiety, maybe? I don't know. Like. If I, maybe not anxiety, that's not necessarily the source of everything, but I have this weird thing where, I mean, I've been playing music for like 20 years now. And uh, if I'm not writing, like if I take a month, month and a half, and I don't write anything, I start to really question myself and I, I feel almost a lack of self-worth because my identity has been so closely aligned with music for so long that if I get too far away from it, um, it kind of scares me. So then that maybe is the source of anxiety. And then it's like, I need to start playing guitar. I need to write, I need to do this. And other times it's just, if I'm playing a lot, then it's just luck or mistakes. I've written songs because I'm playing a guitar and make a mistake and I'm like, oh, wow. That was kind of cool. And then I follow down that rabbit hole and come up with something else. But, you know, right now, for example, I'm not playing a lot of music. I put that thing out in May and I'm kind of taking a breather. I've got another project I'm going to be working on in September. And so I'm kind of taking July to work on the Bronco. August, I'm going to work on my house a little bit. And then September, I'm going to get back into really working on one particular project that I've something cool that's going to be coming up uh, that will be on my YouTube. So if you are out there and you don't think I'm a total uh, ne'er-do-well, then uh, I don't know what my YouTube is. But just look up Chris Black, Paducah, Kentucky. I think it might be Oh Yeah Dakota, O-H-Y-E-H-D-A-K-O-T-A. I think that might be it. But, uh, but yeah, man, I, if I don't, if I get too far away from the music thing, I almost have an identity crisis because that's been such a core principle of my life for so long that uh i kind of question who i am but then at the same time it is nice to get away from it a little bit to kind of realize that's not all so like with the bronco right now and other things and trying to live a little bit more well-rounded life now that i'm not totally focused on it but long story short i kind of have a weird insecurity if i don't do it that is very interesting to me chris i do uh some little creative projects just as like an outlet uh, so if I make a little short movie in the summer, which I've done for six years or so, maybe seven, uh, it's like a creative outlet, but I don't yeah. feel like I've got to this year. I'm going to skip it because I'm going to be at a party out of town and I'll yeah. be okay. But that's very interesting to me. I'm, I'm fascinated by creative people like yourself. So thanks for, well, I, yeah, I was just really gung ho about it for, I mean, I moved to Nashville from my hometown. I didn't know anybody. And that was in 2000 and six i think and man i didn't really let off the gas pedal until 2019 wow. and yeah and uh then i kind of pulled back a little bit but it was pretty much non-stop 
So you just, when you do something that long, you know, you, I think I'm entering a phase now where I'm maybe going to pull back from it a little bit, but I'm not quite there yet. So, and there's all with music too, or anything there, particularly music, there's always something new to get interested in. Like I'm now currently kind of in a phase where I'm really interested in recording and that aspect of it. And that's fascinating almost in the same way that learning guitar was at first. So, and I've had that with like bass, piano, different instruments and, and such. So now I'm kind of in that phase and who knows, you know, maybe after I get through that phase, I'll be done with it. It's that's the kind of the cool thing about music is there's so many different things to get interested in within music, you know? So it's like, man, it's endless. You sound to me a little bit like a uh, British female musician who I've, I've admired since the mid-80s, Kate Bush, who is an experimenter. Listen to The Dreaming Kids, and it is it will blow your mind. She made it in 1984, I think, and it's just amazing. Her record label hated it. Say again? It's the Stranger, the Stranger Things song lady. Yes. So Right. And so things come around. There's always something new to discover. Yeah. Uh, 37 years after she put out this song... Uh, about men and women swapping uh, their minds basically to gain understanding. Uh, Some folks said, Hey, this is cool. Retro 80 stuff. Let's have her music save the world in this fantasy uh, sci-fi story about stranger things. So, uh, but she was really into the creative part. Like she wanted to learn uh, Peter Gabriel introduced her to synthesizers. So she's like, Oh, what can I do with this? And she was a, a tinkerer, but also had a great voice and, Anyway, okay, well, let's get, there you Synthesizer. go. That's, yeah, right. There you go. I recently got this, and I'm fascinated by them. I don't know what's going to happen, but we'll see. All right. Well, now let's get into some fights, okay? We're not really going to get into fights. But let's talk about serious topics for a second. Uh, Ukraine is first on the list because uh, it's a big deal. So Vladimir Putin, back when George W. Bush was the president, he invaded uh, Georgia and then when Obama was in the White House, Putin invaded Crimea. And when Trump was in the White House, Putin wanted to take Ukraine, but he didn't do it. But as soon as Biden got in there, boom, in he goes. Now, let's agree first. Putin's a bad guy, right? Yes. Okay, so we agree Putin's a bad guy. But here's where I have a problem with the current coverage of Ukraine. It seems to me, Chris, completely lopsided there's no balance at all ukraine has to be treated all of a sudden as a hundred percent perfect and that doesn't make sense to me for example they've got a battalion in the ukraine military called azov a-z-o-v which are literal nazis i'm not a fan of nazis i know you're not a fan of nazis why do we have to treat ukraine like they're a hundred percent perfect uh because that's how everything works now. i mean it doesn't matter what it is like there's no room in the legacy media for nuance. So that's all there is to it. And since they're trying to sell ads, not find truth, they know what their audience is into. For example, CNN, no, we both know how they're going to talk about it. Fox news. We both know how they're going to talk about it. So they know, they know what their audience is. They know what's going to keep the audience watching. Um, and they really, at the end of the day, just need to sell Pfizer ads, both of them. So, I mean, it all boils down to money. So it's sad, but it's true. That's a lot of truth in that. 
But now some of it is not just about money. Some of it is about philosophy. And here's an example. A German reporter named Alina Lipp went over to Donbass in Ukraine, and she interviewed some of the civilians there in Donbass. And those civilians during her interviews said to her on camera with a mic in front of their face, some things that were not 100% positive about the Ukrainian military and what they were doing. So the German government threatened to imprison Alina Lip for three years for doing those interviews. And they now say that they are going to try her. They say they're going to try her for the crime of unauthorized reporting, even if she never shows up and testifies. That seems out of balance to me. And it doesn't seem about money. That seems like that's about control of the narrative. Well, what do you think? I mean, honestly, I, you're going to know way more about this than I am. I kind of, I've literally tuned out, you know, but uh, I mean, I'm, I haven't totally tuned out, but why, what do you think? Well, from the United States uh, executive branch, I see dollar signs like you do. They're not selling advertisements, but we know the reason Trump got impeached uh, about that phone call with Zelensky was he was saying, hey, there was corruption in your country, and I'd like to know that you're really a reformer. There's some bad stuff going on uh, with the Biden family. Do you got anything on it? Because uh, they basically pulled money back from you if you didn't uh, yeah. fire if you didn't fire the guy prosecuting this case that was tied to Hunter Biden's business deals over there. So there was this money laundering okay. going on. All right. All right. And for the Germans, it's more about control. It's like, hey, we say that you cannot disrespect Ukraine at all, and we're the German government, and Miss Lip, you do what we say or else. There's no freedom of the press. But it doesn't, I don't know anything about Germany anymore, but like, doesn't Germany technically have, in air quotes, freedom of the press now, or is it still? It's air quotes because they've just demonstrated that they don't. I I guess that's true. I'm case in point. Yeah. yeah, that's wild, man. I didn't know about that. Well, meanwhile, uh, it's about money in a lot of respects. Uh, and so regarding Ukraine and money, I just learned that we have spent United States taxpayer money more in this year or so that we've been supporting Ukraine against Russia. We have spent more than the first five years of Operation Enduring Freedom, the war on terror. That seems crazy. We're not at war. Yeah, I mean, and I'm assuming that's just with us buying weapons for them. Well, I don't know. (laughs) Like I heard, you know, um, I don't know, man. I think I'm I'm pretty, the way I look at it is I really take like an isolationist point of view on it, where it's like, I know that Russia is trying to flex, so to speak. And if we just stand by twiddling our thumbs that it gives Russia, they may feel like they can kind of do whatever they want. Well, okay. So, uh, both of our problem then with the way this is getting covered, where you can only have hundred percent this way and zero percent this way view of this particular thing seems to me like it's really about free speech. I'm a fan of free speech. I know you are too. And there's another guy who really likes free speech. His name is Elon Musk. And so, Let's talk about Elon Musk because he made a bid to buy Twitter. You familiar with this? I am familiar with Twitter. I I don't have it. I had a Twitter account a long time ago because I thought it was good for music. Um, But 
it wasn't. So I didn't, I, I really remained almost inactive on it. And I think people should be able to say whatever they want on there. And if Elon Musk bought it and made it that way, I think that's how it should be. And honestly, you gotta be, you gotta have tough skin or thick skin rather. And, uh, you know, if you don't have thick skin and your arguments are idiotic, then more than likely you're going to shut up in the long run. So just let people say whatever they want and let, let, let it sort itself out. I agree. And Elon Musk appears to agree, but the deal is on the rocks. The same people who said, first of all, no, you can't buy Twitter because you'll make it free speech and we can't have that. Now, today, are suing Elon Musk and saying you must buy us because he said you all couldn't show me that you're worth what I'm paying because I told you you need to show me how many accounts are real human beings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard about that. Yeah. So now... This is so funny to me because Elon might have been playing the long con on these guys the whole time. I thought right away he was basically just making himself uncensorable because if he wanted to promote a topic and Twitter said you can't talk about that, well, you can't shut him up now if he's buying the thing. Yeah. yeah. And he's got 90 million followers after he said he was going to buy it. But he actually wanted to know what's Twitter really like? You said that it's a garbage dump, in other words. Yeah. And, and, uh, he said the same thing. He's like, I don't think there's that many people using Twitter. I think there's a bunch of robots and you need yeah. to prove to me that I'm getting my $44 billion worth and they wouldn't do it. So now they're suing him and his discovery is going to be okay. When we go to court, you owe me the proof of how many people are on your platform. Yeah, Brilliant. For sure. He's a, I mean, the guy's pretty, the kid's pretty smart. He's a smart kid. I think he's got a bright future ahead of that Elon boy. Yeah. Well, uh, this we won't get into, but apparently the Trumpster and Elon are in a war of words. Uh, really? Yeah. I think that it's for show because they're both Trump on. <laughs> they're, I, can see Trump. I mean, Trump and Hill, you know, I don't like that guy, uh, but like he he's good at what he does. I mean, I, I can't I can't argue that the man is a brilliant strategist. I can't say he's not. I don't necessarily like his strategy, but I can't argue with the fact that he's good at what he does. Yeah. We won't go down the Trump trail because it just, it gets personal stuff and I don't care about the personal side of Trump. Uh, Yeah. Anyway, but I will say that he had a pretty good energy policy because he made us energy independent and gas was $1.89 a gallon and everybody was glad about that. But now we're going to talk about energy and I think that we agree, uh, Chris, that when it comes to energy production, cleaner is better, right? Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. I mean, if, if, it's, uh, if it's financially feasible. Hoorah. That's right. So there's a, there's a diminishing returns there. Cleaner is better unless we go bankrupt to try to get it. Right. All right. We're we're together on this. But there are those in government who seem to demand. This is hilarious to me, except it's terrifying because they're really doing it. They demand that we give them lots more money and control over our lives. And in return, they promise us, Chris, that they're going to defy the second law of thermodynamics and give us plentiful, clean, renewable energy. I think they're scam artists. Am I am I wrong? I don't know. You know, see, that's the thing. A lot of people on the right want to say that the left wants to, like, use their good intentions in order to control people more. And I I can understand why people say that. 
But I do also think that there are people on the left that genuinely just want cleaner energy because it is true that we do need to figure something out because, you know, I don't want to argue with you about this either, just in case, but from what I understand, it's, you know, the world is getting hotter and uh, that's not a good thing. And we do need to figure something out. But at the same time, we also need to be able to put food on the table. I mean, I'm drinking a hams, dude. I haven't drank hams beer since uh, like 2002 when I was making no money. And so, you know, it's, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm smoking lucky strikes. What are we at here? There you go. I, I don't, I don't like these and I, these aren't bad, but I mean, I'm just saying that, you know, and like I'm eating bologna all the time. It's not the best. So yeah, the gas prices, it's insane. I mean, I don't, I don't understand why we can't just keep gas prices, you know, open up the reserves, do whatever we got to do to the pipeline, blah, 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 blah. And do clean, you know, why can't we do both? We are, we were doing both. And let me, uh, one word about the climate change. Uh, the climate always changes and always will change because it's a, a dynamic ecosystem and it's cyclical trends of the cooling and the wine. And I understand that correlation is not causation, but there's been a lot of correlation since the industrial revolution. So, and I mean, since that time, we've had periods of cooling and periods of warming, and it is tied more directly to sun flares, solar flares. But back to gas prices. They did skyrocket since the new administration came in. Biden had said to us explicitly that he intended, and he said this in the most public stage possible on the debate stage against the Trumpster, he said he intended to eradicate our current energy industry. And then when he got in there, he promptly shut down the pipeline. You talked about he rejected oil leases. He acted shocked when his former boss, Obama's stated goal of $5 and more gasoline came to fruition. So <clears throat> I say to you, Chris Black, and I want your take on whether I'm out to lunch on this, that Biden and the, the folks pulling the strings behind the scenes and the energy department and the rest of the folks interested in this that have some control now are driving up prices on purpose. Talk me out of that. I would say the number one reason that they wouldn't drive uh, prices up on purpose would be because it's the worst thing for re-election. I mean, it's an easy kill. What if I easy. told you they believe that they can win without getting the most votes? Oh, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. But, but they do I, believe it. They believe it in Georgia. They believe it in Wisconsin until last week when the Wisconsin Supreme Court said all those ballot box drop boxes were illegal. <laughs> I, that I don't know about. I haven't been following that nearly as closely as, as you have. But uh, with that, with the gas thing, yeah, that would be, I would find it. Now, if you're correct. And they do think like, screw it. Okay, well, if that's the case, let's 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 uh, let's say this. If if that's the case, and they think they can win the election without getting the most votes, why would they want to drive up gas prices? I will tell you, sir. So, Barack Obama, one of the first things that he did when he came into office was just like what's happened now. He uh, disallowed new oil leases. 
he had an energy secretary named Stephen Chu. And Stephen Chu said, quote, somehow we have to figure out how to boost the price of gasoline to the levels in Europe, unquote. That was their goal. And I don't have the quote, but Barack Obama said that we need to get to at least $5 gasoline. But this was like 2007 and eight. He said, but we can't go all at once because people will be shocked and they won't like it. Yeah, but I mean, the thing was like in, sorry to interrupt, but I mean, shoot, in like 2006, 2007, it was like four a gallon. Briefly, but they, that's what he wanted. And here you go. Obama told the San Francisco Chronicle during his campaign, he's trying to get elected in 2008, and he tells the San Francisco Chronicle, quote, under my plan, electricity rates will necessarily skyrocket, unquote. Now, you may not remember that, but he actually said Electricity or gasoline? Both. He wanted, he and his energy secretary said, we got to get gasoline as high as Europe. And Obama said about electricity, all of these things, electricity rates necessarily are going to skyrocket. Well, why would they, unless they just have like tons of stocks in oil companies and what coal companies, I guess. I don't know, but like, why would they, what would be, that's what I'm saying. What would be the reason for them to want to do that unless they're making money off? Of it? All right. I will answer that to the best of my ability. It's a great question. Okay. It's about control. Now there are a lot of rabbit holes down this, but generally it's about control. The, this gets to the very heart of all of our discussions about left and right. Left and right are really on the political spectrum. The difference is how much control does government have? And uh, I like to try to be slightly to the right where the Constitution says, government, you can go this far and no further. We call it strictly limited yeah. government. But guys like Obama wanted the government to have much more control. That's why he said he's a constitutional scholar. He knows what it says and what it means. He says, I don't like this because it's negative. It's a charter of negative liberties against the central government. And I want to fundamentally transform this nation, he said. So he resents that because he wants more control. Now, if we have skyrocketing energy prices, more people end up dependent on Washington, D.C. Food stamps, that whole kind of thing. like Everything. Right yes, everything. Uh, we get more dependent on Uncle Sugar to take care of us. And those who are more dependent have less liberty. And yeah, I don't, I, I don't think, like, I don't know, man. Maybe I'm, you know, naive, but, and, and look, I've been fooled before, you know, by people I've known. So I, I, I don't know. That's the thing. Like, I never wanted to believe that, particularly Obama, I really liked Obama, and I never wanted to believe that, he was anything other than what he said he was. Now, is he a master order? Absolutely. Uh, could he be just really good at what he does as being a politician? And I fell for it, possibly. But, you know, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't want to believe that, but like even Trump, okay? Even Trump. Like, I do not like Trump. I cannot stress how much I don't like that guy. And I don't think that he 
I think he was very self-interested, but I also think that with Trump, there were probably also a lot of things where he genuinely felt like he was doing what was best for the country. So I have this, but then there's the other thing where why would you want to be president unless you're a sociopath? Cause that's a hard job and you're just getting rocks thrown at you all the time. <laughs> so I don't know, man, but I don't want to, I try real hard to, to think that, it's not all bad, you know, one way or the other. You've really hit on something there, Chris, about President Obama. And I've said this since he first got in there. People would not credit that he actually meant some of the things he said about, I'm going to make the energy prices skyrocket. I'm going to make people depend on the government for their health care. They couldn't believe when he said what I thought was a disqualifying statement, I intend to fundamentally transform this nation into something not America. People couldn't believe that that meant what it meant. See, I think there, he, I do remember him saying, I'm going to fundamentally transform America. I, but, and I know that you're extrapolating and saying something that is not America, because if you fundamentally transform something, then it, of course, is not America. But I think he was probably being hyperbolic when he said that. And at the time, you know, somebody like me who, uh, you know, through the Bush years, there's a lot of stuff that I didn't like. And that's the, and we talked about this whenever I had you on my podcast, how it's funny how George W. Bush created Barack Obama. Barack Obama created Donald Trump. Donald Trump created Joe Biden. You know, it's just this like, America's like bipolar as hell. We're just like, ah, I don't like this. Opposite. Ah, I don't like this. Opposite. You know, it's like, so they're like, you know, there are people that are not bananas, but there are people out there that are like, I don't like this. Let's go the other way. And it's like, dude, just pick a lane. Yes, there's truth in that. However, I'm going to attempt to demonstrate to you and particularly listeners that, yes, it is on purpose. And the purpose is the fundamental transformation to not America. And okay. here we're going to have to get into some of the people who worked for Obama and what else they have done. But one, before we go there, just back onto the uh, energy, and particularly gas and oil, more evidence that this is not for America's benefit. Joe Biden did release strategic petroleum reserves in an attempt to try to bring down prices for a few months and trick people before the election to say, hey, it's not as bad as it was. But you know what else he did with the Strategic Petroleum Reserve? He gave 950,000 barrels of that stuff to the communist Chinese to a company called Sinopec, which is wholly owned by the Chinese government. But Hunter Biden's private equity fund has a $1.7 billion stake in Sinopec. That, That'll buy a lot of crack. That'll buy a lot of crack and he'll film himself smoking it and weighing it. But dude, that's corruption. That's not good. Um, that is not good. I mean, I'm definitely not here to defend Hunter Biden or Joe Biden for that matter. But uh, yeah, man, I mean, and, and the thing is corruption. I mean, can we both agree that corruption exists, of course, on both sides of the aisle? I oh, mean, of course. Yeah, I mean, it, these people that we put so much faith in, you know, 
at times could very well just be grifters. And I think that that's something that everybody needs to remember, you know, it's like, no matter how passionate I feel about any leader, I very well may be just taking their BS hook, line and sinker because it's, I mean, that's the thing about, we're talking about nuance earlier with like CNN and the Ukraine thing. When, what was the last politician that you can remember really being nuanced? No one. I would say that the one who tried, but he was deceptive, was William Jefferson Clinton. But anyway, all right, so I'm going to take you down this rabbit hole of why they're doing this on purpose, to okay. fundamentally transform America into something not American. I'm going with you. I'm, going with you. I'm hanging on. All right. So you mentioned CNN. So we're going to go to a, uh, a statement that I saw replayed from CNN that blew people's minds. A man named Brian Deese, who is currently the director of our National Economic Council. He was one of Biden's first appointees. Okay, A CNN anchor has Brian Deese on the air and says, hey, Brian Deese, director of the National Economic Council, people are hurting out here with all this inflation, especially the energy prices. How long is this going to go on? And do you know what Brian Deese said on CNN to this anchor? That's not good. That's not good. It's not good. Hold on to that ham's beer. Because Brian, yeah. Brian Deese said, this has got to continue for as long as it takes for us to implement the liberal world order. And I almost fell out of my chair. And this, for real? Sir, I encourage you and all the listeners to go look it up. I'll look it up. I'll look it up. That's, I mean, I'll take your word for it, really. I won't even look it up. I'll just take your word for it. But what does that mean? Okay, so now here's the rabbit hole. That opens the rabbit hole. And hold on, we're going to dive in. All right, because this blows my mind. I heard that name Brian Deese and I realized that I had just talked about him a few weeks ago on a little podcast I did about diesel exhaust fluid, which sounds crazy, right? Well, here's where it comes around. I said he was one of the first appointees, but what did he do before? Brian Deese was previously the global head of sustainable investing for a group called BlackRock. Oh, I know BlackRock. Yeah. Now, before that, Deese was the senior economic advisor to Barack Obama. In fact, when Obama needed to replace John Podesta as the senior advisor alongside Valerie Jarrett, he put Brian Deese into that role. Dude had his hand on the dial, okay? He's a trusted guy in the Obama circle. And then he went to BlackRock, and now he went to the Biden administration, first thing. But he's not the only one. We had... BlackRock founded in 1988 by Larry Fink. Uh, the current chairman of BlackRock Investment Institute is a guy named Tom Donlin. His wife, Catherine Russell, his daughter, Sarah Donlin, and his brother, Mike Donlin, are all now tied into this as well. BlackRock chairman Tom Donlin was Barack Obama's national security advisor. National security advisor, not Joe Schmo, national freaking security advisor. Catherine Russell is now Joe Biden's White House personnel director. Sarah Donilon just graduated college in 2019, but she's already on Biden's National Security Council. And Mike Donilon is senior advisor to Joe Biden. Nepotism. That's yeah. Washington. But that's not just Washington now. That's, that's Obama administration 
to BlackRock to Biden administration. Meanwhile, the Deputy Secretary for the Treasury is Wally Adeyemo. He was formerly the Chief of Staff for the CEO of BlackRock, and he was the first ever President of the Obama Foundation. All right, the Senior Economic Advisor to Kamala Harris is Michael Pyle. He used to be the Global Chief Investment Strategist for BlackRock, and before that, he was Senior Advisor to the Undersecretary of Treasury for Obama. All right, so now we got the pipeline. Basically, you go to Obama administration, you go to BlackRock, you go to Biden administration. Can I ask you a question? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Is BlackRock the company that's been buying up all sorts of property? Oh, yeah. Here's what BlackRock is, listeners and Chris. They are the world's largest investment advisory group. They now control approximately $10 trillion dollars in assets. They have controlling interest in all the Wall Street banks, including Goldman Sachs. They have controlling interest, basic ownership of our transportation infrastructure like Union Pacific Railroad and our agricultural industries like the largest uh, producer of all of our uh, fertilizers, CF Industries. They now have the power to tell those companies you're going to do what we say, even if it hurts your bottom line temporarily, because we own you. And so yeah. they've been telling them specifically, do these things that are going to hurt your bottom line. Don't sell diesel exhaust fluid. Don't make diesel exhaust fluid CF industries. You could make all we need in 10 minutes if you wanted to, but don't do it. Union Pacific, cut off Flying J and these other companies that sell diesel exhaust fluid by half, or we're cutting you off completely is diesel man what is that the stuff that you see at a gas station yes what's yes. that what's that really common brand of it do you know what i'm talking about well i don't know but it's just generically uh urea two-thirds urea and one-third distilled water it's okay it's basically just deer, something that they deer. put in there someone told me it was deer urine yeah it basically sure it's like that you, yeah they, they synthesize it when they make it but yeah you could Okay. Yeah. Well, actually, what uh, I used to work at HT Hackney, this distri distribution place uh, here in Paducah, and we I was constantly lifting those things up and putting them on pallets. Sidetracked. Sorry. Get back to it. All right. So BlackRock is now effectively puppet masters for a lot of influential groups. Yeah. Right. And they were they they went to the Obama administration, then they went to BlackRock. Now they're behind the scenes and really front and center in the Biden administration. But the founder of BlackRock, Larry Fink, in 2019, joined the board for, guess what? The World Economic Forum. You heard of these guys? Oh, yeah, with that crazy German guy. That's right. The um, Bond villain of all time, Klaus Schwab. Yeah, that's him, yeah. Yeah. So they have common interests. When they tell CF Industries don't make this deer pee to put into the <laughs> to the diesel engines and Union Pacific don't transport it to Flying J and these other guys. It's common interest with the World Economic Forum, who met just a couple months ago in Davos, Switzerland, and Klaus Schwab, the Bond villain with the German accent, told those people, he told those people, 
okay, we just came through this worst pandemic, but you all, we have to be ready for the next pandemic that we may have on our global agenda. And it's a bad impersonation, but he actually said, he said, pandemics like this are our global agenda. Now, I don't like that. No, I don't like it either. And those are the people who have their hands on the dials of our economy. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, we're, we're certainly not, now see, this kind of goes back to something that I, an argument that I've had with my dad a lot, which is, and, and here we go. Now here's a, a real quandary. Mm-hmm. How do I say this? Okay. With a company like BlackRock, for example, they're obviously pretty huge, but someone like you, who's on the right side of the aisle is anti-regulation. Mm, it's my fault. <laughs> I'm not saying it's your well, I mean, I definitely, I used to complain probably, I don't know, when I was younger, a lot about corporate America and how these companies are just getting bigger. And if there's any kind of competition, they just buy it up. And it's just this like, and the reason I would complain about that is because I had a job at one point in time where I worked for a very large corporate company and, you know, it kind of sucked. And it, it really, it hurt me as an employee there that at the end of the day, without my services and all the people that I work with, that company doesn't make, now, no, don't get me wrong, there's millions of people across the United States that are in my shoes, but you, you take all those people at the bottom out of that equation, that company doesn't have what they have. You have to have low skilled workers or whatever at the bottom. It, it, and then my problem with like trickle down economics at, is that Basically, with a large corporation like that, if you give them a tax cut, that money is not going to go to the people that work there. They're not going to get a raise. They may hire more people. They may buy. They may put up new, uh, open new businesses and create new jobs. But all those jobs are low paid. They don't. They don't because they're at the end of the day beholden to the stock. The stockholder. So the, the, they want profits high. They don't, and the, you know, if you give everybody across the board a dollar raise, then what? Then the stocks are worth less, and blah blah blah. And then if you give everybody fifteen dollars an hour, then you, hey, you're drinking ham's beer. All right. Well, I'm I'm going to represent myself as probably a typical right wing wacko. Uh, okay. Although, honestly, where I, I couldn't I, tell with the huge American flag behind you. Where where show. where I. Where I actually try to land is slightly right where the Constitution is. But let's just say, okay, I'm, I'm the representative of the right-wing wackoness. And I'm going to say that I am not against uh, regulating corporations out of monopoly status and yeah. superpower status. I, I'm not that opposed to regulating corporations. We shouldn't have the ability... For, for example, I used to be of the mind that only governments can truly censor speech, but we've already uh-huh. talked about Twitter. We could talk about Facebook yeah. and these others. If the government th- could have the ability to censor speech that those giant corporations have, they would be hogs in slop. But, yes. but those corporations now have gotten out of control and they have that power. Regulating that away does not offend me, even as yeah. Mr. Right Wing Wacko. 
And but a company small. like BlackRock that's got $10 trillion of leverage now, and they will use that against companies' economic benefit just to get their liberal world order, or what they call it in Davos, the Great Reset. Yeah, that, that's not cool. You, you know what we've really done here? We've gotten down to the problem. I just realized this. Mm. And it's lobbyists. Ah, because money talks and BS walks. So when you've got these large, what is it? Super PACs? Is that what it is? That can there, be some of them. Yep. anonymously and you don't even know where the money's coming from. And like with, uh, in 2000 and something that narrowed it down, uh, when they passed <laughs> citizens United, oh, yes. I, remember looking at my, I remember looking at my girlfriend at the time and I was like, it's over with, it's over with. Like now corporations can just dump as much money as they want into the political game. I said it's over with. And it is. Well, guess who did that? Mark Zuckerberg spent $470 million to... I didn't know that. Oh, dude, you didn't want to talk about the election. But Mark Zuckerberg spent $470 million to basically take over the Democrat precincts in Georgia, particularly, and in some of the other states that went... Uh, in the timeout mode on November 3rd at 10.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. Are you serious, Zuckerberg? Absolutely. I'll tell you what, listeners, go back and listen to my episode with Molly Hemingway called Rigged. She explains in great detail how Mark Zuckerberg spent $470 million of his own money to take over the Democrat get-out-the-vote campaigns in precincts so the money in politics is real but it ain't just us right-wing wackos no it's it's no of course not it's it's left-wing wackos too but that's the problem is the money thing you know like the money thing is the problem you gotta get the money out of politics if you want to fix it. and the thing is we were talking about regulation with these large corporations and you were saying that you don't have a problem with regulating these companies like blackrock or whatever that's the thing they're not going to get regulated when they're that big because there's too much money. And that, that, that's like asking uh, senators to come up with term limits or whatever. That's right? that's a great example. That's right. You there's know, only two senators I, who would vote for term limits, and they are Ted Cruz and Rand Paul. Right. It's not going to happen. Right. I mean, you know, so that's the, the problem is with the regulation thing. When do you do it? Because it's unfair to stop growth mm-hmm. if you do it too early but if you do it too late then there's no stopping it because it ain't going to happen right and, and and can have adverse effects on the economy yeah so on term limits i've been strong on that for a long time but there's one person who i consider the wisest and most intelligent political mind i have ever encountered his name is dr larry mitch mcconnell i'm gonna throw up on my desk no sir uh his name is dr larry arn and uh he and i do not see eye to eye on term limits but he's so smart that i do not think he must be wrong it makes me question why what am i missing and here i finally figured out what i'm missing uh it took a lot of crazy stuff happening in dc for me to figure this out but finally it's this the deep state is not primarily just the the lifers in congress who don't have term limits it's these people in these administrative agencies the three-letter agencies who never ever leave and they have been given authority by all these laws 
to make their own regulations that we still had to follow with the force of law. Yeah. And that was why President Trump had to go because those guys knew he's after us. He tried in 20 He tried in 2020 to bring in new executive orders that would have kneecapped that administrative deep state and But I got to get you where I can get you. What do you think for later? Keep going. But later, tell me what you think about executive orders. But keep going. I don't want to detract. Well, uh, it's about the end of that thing. It's just basically that my eyes were open to the fact that when those agencies get corrupted, then the Senate and the House of Representatives becomes relatively less important yeah. because they come and go more frequently than those real lifers in those agencies. And, you know, uh, I'm going to get thrown in jail for this, but one of those agencies uh, is the Federal Bureau of Investigation. And some of the things that they're doing saying, hey, if you go to a school board and say, I don't like this reading material in the library, then they're going to open a jacket on you and you're a potential domestic terrorist. I just saw today, Chris, a video of a guy who went to a school board and he had some library books from the student library. And he said, hey, board, I'm just going to read some excerpts from your library books that these kids can check out. And they said, no, cut his mic. It would be illegal for him to read from those books because they are pornographic. And he's like, well, you proved my point, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Of course. Well, the FBI probably opened a jacket on that guy because potential domestic terrorist because he's not hip to the school board. That's crazy. That's chilling. I hope that the FBI isn't focusing on school board meetings. I will I'm say telling that. you that they are opening jackets on people who that's explicitly happening. Well, FBI, I would like to say that I voted for Biden and I love Kamala. And National Security Agency, we're big fans of you guys, too. We love you. All right, so you wanted to ask me about executive orders. I think they're yeah, overused. Think I think they're yeah, overused. Obama took it too far. He said, I got my pen, I got me, and I got my phone. I don't need Congress. Yeah. And, that, and some of those, and that's the funny thing about that, is where if we agree with it, it's like, okay, you know. Okay. And then if we don't agree with it, there's outrage. And I'm not, I'm, that can be on the left or the right. It doesn't matter who it is, you know. But but the real problem is, too, that's because Congress doesn't get anything done. Now so that, at that you know, then it's like, well, at least somebody can get something done with a stroke of a pen because Congress literally doesn't do anything. Now, the executive branch has certain authorities in the Constitution. So if he uses executive orders within that framework, like for some of the administrative state, what can you do and what can you not do? I'm yeah. okay with that. Uh, but if he if he's doing it, if the president's doing it to circumvent what would be legislation, then I'm not cool with it. Yeah, yeah, because it falls outside of the lines of what they're supposed to be able to do. That's right, separation of power. And, and, also, and there's no checks and balances whenever they're just writing it up. There you go. Chris, people are going to think I set this whole episode up as a ruse we have had the struggle to find stuff to disagree about. Yeah, man, I don't, I, I mean, I'm, I don't know. I just, I think that if we'd have had, actually, I don't, because I can remember, I mean, vaguely, I remember when we had lunch, it wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot of like going on. Right. You know what I mean? But we no, agree but, in but, principle 
That's what I'm saying. You and I agree in principle yeah. about a lot of this. I think, and I think a lot of people do. I think that a lot of people do. I think if you get people on social media and they don't have conversations like this, they're going to be at each other's throats. But if you sit down and have a glass of lemonade or a fresh hams because gas is $19 a gallon, then, I mean, yeah, dude, like I don't really – like I, I'm – I am – fairly patriotic in the sense that I think the idea of America is really beautiful. I just think that we're, we are fundamentally changing it because we're all idiots. You know, like we're fundamentally screwing it up because nobody wants to listen to each other and nobody wants to talk and everybody just wants to sell their products and get their five minutes of fame on social media. And nobody is thinking about the long-term effects of what we're going through right now and the way that we're behaving. You know who you just sounded like was Rush Limbaugh. Uh So Yeah, you sure did, because he would say over and over. Hey, hey, I don't know whether to say thank you. He was the greatest on the radio, and this will be a broadcast on the radio, so it's not a bad comparison. But he would always say that the most costly thing in America is ignorance. When people don't get informed, but we're just adamant about what we're saying, but we don't know what we're talking about. That's the most costly thing. I agree, man. And that's why, you know, I don't, for instance, earlier, I don't even remember what we were talking about, but if I don't know about something, I'll say it. You know, I don't, my, my sense of pride doesn't come from being the Encyclopedia Britannica for the old folks out there or Wikipedia for the kids. You know what I mean? I'm not a no, I mean, I like, I have, uh, I'm a, I'm a jack of all trades and a master of none. You know what I mean? Like, I I know a little bit here and there, and I have a fundamental moral compass that I try to follow, but I'm not going to sit here and claim to know, like, you, dude, I'll give you props. You'll rattle off fact after fact after fact after fact, name, name, connection, this, that. Like, you're very, very, very good at, like, the specifics of things, and I'm more of a kind of just sit back and look at it as opposed to get so detail-oriented. So hats off. Thank you. That's very gracious. That fits well with the idea of this whole podcast about core principles. It's not about the factoids. It's about the principle behind it. So you're the perfect guest. And actually, this ties a nice ribbon around the whole thing, because where we started out was at the same place. You are uh, not just a jack of all trades, master of none, but you are a renaissance man. You're into a lot of different things. You have balance in your life. And when you see yourself out of balance, you rebalance. You're like, "Ah, I'm too much over here. So that's good. I salute you, sir. I'm not the best at balance. I'll take the compliment when I'm when it's deserving, but sometimes I get a little out of balance. So well, what I, I'm saying is, when you recognize that, you're like, you know, I got to check that. And, I'll uh, pump the brakes. I'll pump the brakes. Yeah. So I, I salute you, sir. I love you, brother, and I thank you for uh, being with me on Core Principles. It was fun. I love you too, man. Thanks for letting me do this, and I uh, wish you the best of luck with it. Hit me with the link when you're uh, when it's out, and I'll I'll share it and all that jazz. All right. Take care. All right. Man. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Core Principles Podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky by Real Productions. Music is by Late July, L-E-I-G-H-T July. You can find our music on all streaming services or at latejuly.com. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Core Principles Podcast. Please visit core.buzzsprout.com for more information. And please share with your friends. We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode.